doesn't love some Brothers Oz? <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't love some Brothers Osborne right there? Shoot me straight. I love that. What's up, you guys? This is your boy, Sina Azari, CEO accredited. On this beautiful Monday, I'm so excited. The weather here is amazing. Of course, we got our boy, the People's Advisor. What's going on? I feel like I should almost have a, a good uh, little bourbon on the rocks or something with that song there, right? With a nice uh, whiskey rock? Why not? I'll take one of those. Nothing yeah. says Monday like bourbon on the rocks, right? Ooh, exactly. Listen to that. So our guest right there just gave you a little subtle hint of uh, who's in the studio with us. We're pretty excited, actually, to introduce to you our, our guest who made quite a trip out here from Nebraska, has a long list of accolades, introducing this innovator in the industry manager mutual omaha advisors recruiting from the home office but has more than a decade of experience and this is a very young lady since 07 being licensed in in the field knows all about production went into the home office and has been responsible for really changing the game innovating and building the future sales force of Mutual Omaha Advisors. Responsible for bringing in over 45 producers in the last two years. Recognized as a thought leader, international keynote speaker. Spoken in recently Guadalajara? Guadalajara. Guadalajara, Taiwan. Been a Gamma frontline leader on stage, main platform. We're excited that she's going to be speaking at the upcoming Disruptor June 1st. Without any further delay... Mrs. Megan Wilkie. How you doing, Megan? I'm so great. Thank you. <laughs> was, was that a long introduction? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't think her mom could have given a better, longer introduction, right? Other than maybe some like childhood things that would have got thrown in there. So good job. There were so many more to go down the list. But of course, I wanted to give you an opportunity to speak about some of these things that I was going to surface. So uh, how are you feeling? I feel good. You I'm feel very good? excited for so many reasons. Yeah, I can tell. I mean, the energy's on fire. Uh, when was the last time you made a trip out to California? Uh, March. I was in San Diego, actually. Nice. Was it a turnaround trip just like this one, or did you have some time to enjoy Cali? It was an incentive trip with my friends from Mutual of Omaha Advisors. So we were celebrating and doing all sorts of cool things. So Mutual of Omaha Advisors, I mean, take us back. You're, you, you went to school in Arizona. Yes. A- ASU grad. Yep. So shout out to Wildcats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not, not so much. <laughs> no. Is it the Wildcats or no? Sun Devils. Sun Devils. Sun Devils. There you go. Well, way there, there goes way my off. guesses. <laughs> That's Tucson. What are the other? So well, you had the state, out, correct? Shout out to the Sun Devils. That's right. right. So uh, you go to school at ASU, and then Mutual Omaha Advisors just gets your attention when we're, what, a sophomore in college, and we're like, we're going to go this direction? Well, I was actually an advisor prior to becoming an ASU student, transferred from University of Nebraska and Mutual of Omaha recruited me to um, go and build an agency in Phoenix and help with the recruitment of new advisors specifically. I was an advisor previously, and it was an opportunity that really turned um, everything over for me in the industry. I mean, it opened my eyes to how much opportunity there is for somebody like me that is a leader, uh, but also believes in the customer. So a lot of the you know natural th- skill sets and ambitions and things you have are helping you lead and do this. You could have applied them probably in other areas of the world and been successful. I'm always curious, what attracts someone like you to get into financial services in the first place? Well, interestingly, I always thought it would be in banking. Um, I have lots of family members. I'm third generation in finance when you uh, consider banking. 
And when I was approached to become a financial advisor, my first response was actually, I'm really bad at math. That sounds like a terrible idea. Uh, and after talking with my dad about it, who was a president and CEO of banks at that time, he said of all of the friends who went on the financial services side of the industry when he went into banking, they have a much different lifestyle at that time than he did. He was still working six, seven days a week uh, and doesn't have the residual income. So I made the leap because I was approached and really what all I wanted was that feeling in the grocery store when I would walk through with my dad and everybody would say, your dad's the reason why we got our farm or our business loan. And I just wanted that. I didn't really recognize that the advisor role could get me that. That's a pretty awesome answer. And you were how old when you got into financial services in the first place? 21. 21. Wow. 21. Wow. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I got involved in 23 and a lot of people say, wow, you have two extra years. Like that makes a huge difference because 21 to 23, the level of just difference in your mindset and maturity and that kind of stuff is is huge. That means that happened for you like years earlier. So uh, educate me how you go from being an advisor, you join the organization, you're in the field, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all about prospecting, uh, being at the kitchen table, doing the financial plans help them protect legacy. How do you transition from there to now uh, being in the home office and really helping orchestrate the direction of an organization from that angle? It started with the recruiter position in the field in Arizona, where actually I said no three times when they asked me to be a recruiter from an advisor. I still believe, and I think any good recruiter should, that the advisor role is the best um, career there is out there. But for me, we were in a position personally where my husband had only lived in Omaha. We just got engaged. He had an opportunity in Arizona, and it just made sense for us to start a life there. I wasn't expecting to stay in the recruiter position or really have a knack for talent acquisition, quite frankly. I figured I would move out there. I know that with hard work, I can accomplish anything, especially if it's close to prospecting. And I figured I would transition back to an advisor role, but I got this itch for recruiting and that 45 in two years, the the people that I recruited there as a rookie um, opened the home office's eyes to that there might be an opportunity for them to leverage my way of thinking to help at a distribution level. So how different does Mutual of Omaha look now than it did when you very first got involved with them and then how much of that was through your influence? It looks totally different. There are parts of us that are the same in that, you know, I used to describe us as a home office that's kind of grassroots. You have access to people uh, in comparison to other large organizations where you might not know who's there processing your applications or helping you with your development plans. But now we're still accessible, but we're really scrappy. I mean, you never want to tangle with the, the gang that's been through a few street fights together. <laughs> and we've point. done a lot of things. And um, we've really solidified what our values are. And that has made us uh, very transparent and very clear about what we're going to accomplish and who with. You know, you just mentioned transparency. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of everything that you share out there publicly uh, on LinkedIn specifically. I've, I've read all your articles. One of them that seems to be the introduction to a series of them was titled Disruptor. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the first of this series, I guess, right? Correct. So, and, and I love your approach because you're, you're, you're writing the, the title of your uh, article on a whiteboard. And then I didn't notice, you knew this, that the following ones were going to be similar way of introducing those titles, which is pretty cool. How do you come across the term disruptor, relating it to the industry, and you are a disruptor? I mean, how do you connect to that? You know, it was that moment where a lot of the courageous decisions that I've made and um, had the incredible blessing of the support of my leadership to to execute on, they started to align with uh, a tipping point where you can see what the house that you're building. You're not just on the blueprint part. And when you get there, you've got to to really uh, be clear about why you're making courageous decisions and sometimes really tough decisions and you also can't back down if you know maybe there are others who are afraid there are so many days where i say what's the bravest thing i can do today or what's the bravest thing i can do as a result of this meeting and i reached a point where i really wanted our field partners to understand how much of my heart was in it and that I'm willing to risk it all yeah, to build what tell. we're building. And when you just said that, I felt that. Wow. Yeah, I love that saying. What's the bravest thing you can do today? Today, yes. So what, what drives you? Where, where do you get your motivation from? I believe that every customer deserves a plan. I mean, honestly, it's, it's the customers that need financial security. It's the beneficiaries, like my two daughters. Everything that I do is about them. And at the end of the day, especially in talent acquisition, so many of the tactical and strategic decisions that we make have an exponential impact on how much financial security we can provide. And that's a huge driver for me. So there's this, you mentioned right now the two daughters, right? What comes into mind is this, you may have seen this meme that floats around online and it's like a lion and then there's like a little baby lion in the background, right? And it's like never let down because you don't know who's watching you type of thing. Mm-hmm. And since being a dad, that means way more to me now than it did you know, back then. Do you see them, or in your eyes at least, like looking at you and you being this example and like taking that into consideration at all of like this woman leader who's just blowing doors down and making stuff happen? You know, yes and no, actually. I would give it all up for them if I had to. I would walk away from from my career because being a mother comes first to me. But it is very motivating to me to know that if they find something that they care so passionately about, that they will have seen me and the challenges and you know tremendous success that I've had. And they'll be able to A, talk to me about it, but also know that it's possible. Now, you know, be, being a millennial, uh female leader in the industry, you've seen a lot of change. You joined the organization when it was still operating and running the old school way. The millennials is the future of the workforce. You've done a great job capturing their attention. Where do you see Mutual of Omaha advisors in the next three to five years based on where it was to where it's going? Because I know we're actually living through the transition period now. We are. Great question. Um, I see us in a place where We're treating our advisors as an extension of the leadership team, first and foremost. I think it's okay to say that financial services really sucks at building a bench, right? Every time you need a new leader, it can be tragic because there aren't a lot 
of advisors who have been able to rally behind a, a bigger mission. And especially as millennials enter the workforce and enter a, an opportunity as difficult as the advisor role with any company, they need to know that what they're doing is not only bigger because of the impact that it has on our future economy, but also that it's bigger based on the impact that it has to achieve an, a, a bigger organizational mission. And Mutual of Omaha Advisors of the Future, I see that being a different type of pressure than the pressure that they felt before, which was you've got to achieve your production metrics, you've got to continue to develop yourself and better serve your, your clients. That's still true, but I think there's a bit of, a, a bit of relief in being accountable for a, a vision and a set of values than a number. It's all about the people, right? I mean, that's yeah. pretty. Your answers are so on point. It's as if we like pre-practiced this when we have not at all. But not only pre-practiced, but you have a lot of people that are probably listening to this and are gonna want your information, reaching out to you, wanting to learn more about how to get involved working with you. Where where can they find you out there, Megan? You know, I'm most accessible on LinkedIn. I'm a recruiter, right? And so I have people reaching out to me for career advice all of the time. And LinkedIn is a channel that really never shuts off. But other than that, you can find me on Instagram, and you'll see a little bit more of my personality there. And what's so. your Instagram handle for everybody? Profitessa. <laughs> Profitessa. How do you come up with that? I consider myself to be a futurist in financial services especially, but also in leadership, and also somebody that's a little bit of a disruptor, and profit, as in profitability made more sense and, and looked cooler than profit with a ph <laughs> <laughs> so we've we've name dropped or, or this disruptor this concept right you're speaking at the disruptor um it's going to be awesome june 1st is going to come come right before we know it but what does it mean to you there and like what kind of message do you want to make sure that people get from you at the conference you know i think that you can bounce back from a lot of the challenges that we'll all face as a team in this industry. If you're inflated, you won't bounce if you're deflated. And so it's important to me that I can help people who might be a producer, um, whether it's insurance or real estate. And it's important to me that I can help them with the backing of a larger organizational story so that they know that it's not just a, a, a bunch of individuals coming together to stay relevant for our clients. There are big organizations that are backing it too. And I think that for them to hear that message might be just the motivation that they need to go out and help one more customer. And that one more customer is why I do a lot of what I do. That's awesome. So disruptive innovation is really about bringing social media or a huge part of it, right? And like innovative marketing strategies and that type of stuff. How do you see technology like social media and like the transparency that it cultivates affecting our business and how do we respond to it? I've learned so much about how to target people on the talent acquisition side and I think it's it can be leveraged as well with prospecting where years ago we when we were designing our distribution of the future at Mutual of Omaha Advisors we knew who we wanted our future advisors to be what their backgrounds looked at, looked like because we took our ideal advisors, kind of like you would with your ideal clients, and we looked at backgrounds and trends, and then we started targeting those people. We engaged with them, we made them followers, and then ultimately we're converting those people into candidates. And so I think 
part of what we can improve on as an industry is that what I'm seeing people do to disrupt on social, a lot of it seems accidental. And there are years of thought that went into who we're targeting. And that has made a significant difference in how many engagements we have on, on channels like LinkedIn, for instance. And that if I have a recruiter who happens to meet one of our ideal candidates out at a networking event, that person will feel like it's fate because I've already targeted them with content, just like you would a client. It's fate that they need to do something now because they've been hearing about this need. Right. Fate, not fake. Fate, yeah, fate. with yeah. a T. And so I think that it's on purpose, but different and courageous. That's something that I think we can improve on. And then another thing that I've learned is the importance of transparency and culture. We have really struggled as an industry with selling people into an advisor role or an advisor culture that's maybe what we've pictured in our mind, but then they get into the role or they get into the office and it's a completely different experience. And so the importance of saying, here's where we're at today, here's where we're going so that they can be a part of that journey is very important. And some of the early statistics that I've seen with the articles, for instance, or are very um, transparent posts from some of our field leaders is they're attracting more millennials and a lot more females, actually. Yeah, you're doing a great job. Talk about talent acquisition. You you collaborate with a lot of other recruiters that are outside of our industry, specifically within LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your, your affiliation with Talent Connect or maybe what your goals or aspirations are with, with LinkedIn's Talent Connect. Talent Connect is LinkedIn's uh, talent acquisition conference. And I've been lucky enough to be a part of a group with LinkedIn and other talent acquisition thought leaders. And so my goal is to continue to help an amazing tool like LinkedIn serve our, our, our job market by giving enterprises the right data, but also to be seen as a thought leader in that space and help with um, the talent acquisition industry's perception of financial services. So one of my goals is to, is to present it at Talent Connect. Which I, see, which I see happening. So LinkedIn, if you're uh, listening or come across this feed, Megan Wilkie, you want to make sure to connect with her. They need disruptors. She brings the fire. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Mm -hmm. um, this idea of a personal brand, right, is like, I don't know, this this popular <laughs> phrase that's come up in the last few years since we've had people like Gary Vee and um, the growth of, I don't know, like self-created celebrities almost, right, in mm -hmm. different spaces. Being a recruiter on a national level for such a large brand, I think out to the advisors that might be out there, how important is their, quote, personal brand to you? And do you and your colleagues use things like Instagram and Facebook to see who that person maybe really is before you target and talk to them? We definitely do. Um, we do it for a couple of reasons. One, if it, there's a community where we feel we're underserving uh, the market, from a client perspective, we might target specific candidates because we feel like we aren't serving the Latino community in this city, for instance. Uh, we might select based on that, and so we use data at a larger level to, um, to pick who we target for candidates, but then we also use their, their brand, their personal brand, more once they're on board because there are a lot of tried and true systems and financial services. I'm a huge believer of the one card system. I've done firm foundations with Harry Hoopus and all of the industry greats. 
But I think applying those, especially to the millennial advisor, you need to know who they are and you need to know how to tailor those tried and true principles to what matters to them and hit them at the right times. Social media is a great way to figure that out. Absolutely. And I think that's the secret or that everyone's trying to figure out is how to take these tried and true systems and implement the distribution of them through social media. Social media is not necessarily the replacement of all that stuff. It's the new like window that everyone sees it through. Exactly. Well, thank you for being a thought leader in the same direction we are. It's, it's awesome to continue to build and connect that way. So tell me, when you were in the field, were you also recruiting and building your agency? In the yes. Field? So how is, how is the recruiting landscape different from, from building your agency, recruiting more through... Uh, observation recruiting a warm touch versus recruiting from the home office angle so I still use my own personal connections to recruit at the enterprise level I'm focused more on field leaders than I am advisors which is what I did when I was in the field primarily but the recruiting landscape changes like every 15 seconds especially if you're in real estate or financial services because the candidates have this stigma in their mind they want to run from us so you have to figure out how to find them uh, when they're ready to be found. And so for me when I was a recruiter, while there were some relevant sources of candidates that maybe were online based or whatever, the best way for me to get candidates was to, as fast as I could, get people to see me as a career coach and trust that regardless of the outcome, because less than 1% of the people that we interview ever make it on board, that they have value in going through that process with us so that they don't feel rejection. It's a huge organizational brand if people walk out of an interview where we've ultimately determined it's not the right fit or not the right time, and they feel negatively about that instead of that we've added value to them some other way. And so that's how I built my pipeline in the field, and that's how I'm doing it today. Yeah, very well said. So you mentioned like people want to run from us, right, in, in the industry. In your opinion, what is it that our industry continues to do to keep that stigma or stereotype? And what can we do to change? Like, there's something that we just keep doing. I say we, the entire financial services industry. Mm-hmm. What do you think that is? I think that there's a lot of history in how people have built successful careers that gets in the way, right? You might have you might have made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in your career year after year doing things a certain way and asking those people to change to appeal to advisors is very difficult and it's also scary so I think that we we suffer sometimes from our own comfort zone and with talent acquisition specifically we we don't use enough candor in our process so our, our candidates hear a a presentation, heaven forbid there's like a folder and all they hear is somebody blurb, blab on about a role that they don't care about, right? They don't care about the financial advisor opportunity. They don't care about mutual of Omaha advisors. You're lucky if in the first or second interview they even care about that local agency if there isn't a relationship connection. What they care about is that there's somebody that's trying to select them and that they feel like they're a part of something elite. Everybody likes the forbidden fruit. I talked about that at LAMP. And so we lay it all out there and maybe sometimes chase candidates when we should be pulling away as much as we're, as we're chasing. Because if 
I can tell you right now, if I thought everybody was going to get the role, I wouldn't feel very good about getting it myself. This is, I mean, very well every said. answer that you're telling me. So I'm certain you're going to have a lot of people wanting to work with you. How do you go about going through the, all the candidate pools? Who is the ideal candidate you're looking for to place them? And then what is your current strategy right now as, as a TA leading the recruiting system? Is your goal more emphasized on regions throughout the country? When we started targeting our candidates, you know, if you two were both candidates, um, I would look at through social media data, how many people you're connected with, who those people are, what your degree paths were, how many years you've worked, et cetera. And we did a study based on our top advisors. And by top, I don't just mean productivity. I mean a combination of productivity as well as vision alignment. And so we handpicked a large group of individuals that were active with us and actively engaged in helping us build our future. And we noticed five segments, if you will, or five characters within that big group of people. And we've been targeting more like them ever since. And so we picked who we wanted to build with based on a combination of results and behaviors that's very important to how we target people today. Because if you ask me to refer somebody to you that's motivated, well, I'm, ch- I'm struggled with that. And while you know, I'm, I'm not the most delicate flower, I tend to be a little outspoken, I will have some heartache about who wouldn't I qualify in that motivated category. But if I ask you for somebody who double majored in finance and communications that's bilingual, that's been working for five to six years and has 500 or more connections, you could probably come up with somebody that that meets at least one or a few of those categories. So we got really specific about who we were looking for and that made it easier for both active Mutual of Omaha Advisors Associates as well as some of our career advocates to know who to send to us and why we're targeting them. So how often do people try to recruit you? All the time. (laughs) Um, I, I want to ask you a question about college. You talked about one of the things is, you know, what their targeted college degree path might have been. So two questions. How important is their original thought path to them becoming successful in our business as an advisor? And then second, how important is college at all to becoming a successful advisor or coming on board in your opinion? Personally, I don't think that having a degree qualifies you or disqualifies you for any role today. Um, You know, it took me 11 years to graduate college. I probably shouldn't say that out loud, but it did. I was off and on, changed my mind a couple times, found success as an advisor. By success, I mean probably more money than I should have been making at a young age. So it wasn't important to me. And so when I look for qualifications, if you will, of who can join our organization, you do have to have a certain level of maturity and work ethic and those characteristics. But I think you have to be somebody who's cultured enough to have tough conversations with people that probably don't want to be talking to in the first place. So most of our clients don't come knocking at our door because they want to spend their money on a financial plan instead of, you know, going out to eat on the weekends or going on vacation. So you have to ask them the tough questions and then hold them accountable to the goals that aren't as sexy to think about as some of their other goals. We need somebody who's got the character to do that. So 
there are lots of organizations where you can have the, the knowledge and the background and the talent and you can be successful. But in financial services, you need to have the knowledge and the background, whether that's life experience or professional. You need to have the talent, raw talent. Some of that's God-given. You also have to have character. You have to have a lot of character. That's awesome. I give you huge credit for being really honest in your your college path and the 11 years and stuff because those types of things and just sharing the real, this is who I am, what I was, and like and I'm successful is so important to everyone else who th- wants to make it and thinks that they have to be this cookie cutter mold to doing it. So congratulations on graduating, but Thanks. Um, I'm more excited you shared it took 11 years. You know, uh, I, in the end, because I was in a home office role by the time I was at my final sprint and I had my first child and was 80% travel, by that point, I was just bound and determined to have a graduation party. I had envisioned <laughs> it. I knew the invites and the cake. Like I was not going to so back funny. down on that. So but today, funny. it doesn't impact your your salary. It doesn't impact your your propensity for success. And there are fewer candidates that are choosing that path, probably because most of us millennials are in student loan debt, and that's not very much fun either. So I think that we might have to shift our thinking in the future around that. Right. So I, I read something the other day that there's, you know, a average American debt in 2016 for student loans came out right about $50,000. And then if you got into, we'll just for lack of better terms, call it like a high level profession, like an attorney or a, an MD, then your average walk away was like 180 to $200,000 in debt. Outside of being a doctor and a lawyer, you sort of have to get those uh, designations to go and do business. But Anything else, do you think the money would be better used in another direction? This is kind of going like Gary Vee style, right? Like the 50 grand you got into debt to go into school with. If you, your kids right now, were going to go ready to go into college and it was either them take on $50,000 of debt or take the 50K and do something else with it, which do you think would get them further? Take the 50K and do something with it, especially because people are maturing a lot slower now. Um, and I still have young kids, so I don't even want to think about what the teenage years are going to be. But I think that people will be a lot less mature. And you get a lot more out of your education when you have some real life things to apply that, that education to. So I'm actually a total sociology nerd. I love it. I'll read textbooks. But I apply it to so much of what we do, specifically organizational hierarchy and, and how to drive culture. But I didn't care about that when I started in school. That wasn't important to me. And so I think you just get a lot further if you are to make an investment in tuition, if you've got a little bit more clarity on why you're going for that education. You just mentioned culture. Tell me about the culture of Mutual Law Advisors. What's, what's the culture like? So the culture is changing. It's a, we're in a big transformation as an organization. And that culture is one where you know, there is a, a, lot of, a lot of transparency, a lot of tough conversations, a lot of tough love sometimes. Uh, we're scrappy, especially in the home office, because we've had to really work and, and continue to fight for what we believe is the best for our distribution. And that has helped us to attract a large number of leaders to our organization who share the same beliefs. We did something a little different since we started recruiting new leaders really June of last year, where um, one of the data points that I used to help with the story was that it's a lot more expensive to build leadership qualities 
than it is to build technical ability. You can read the one, Al Granum lays it all out there for you in the one card system. If you wanna know how to be successful as an advisor, and then he made a book for managers on how to manage to the one card system. We already, I have that book at my house or a couple copies, but building a leader is very expensive. So we're finding a lot more people like us and it's a tremendously positive but positive culture but full of a lot of fighters it's really cool it feels like where i'm supposed to have been all along which i love that's really cool not a lot of people get to say that that they I know. feel like it's where they were supposed to have been and you've been digging deep roots right because you've been with mutual of omaha now for how many years since 2009 2009. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, I think, are facing a time in their life where they look and they go, man, I've been building all this. I'm supposed to be somewhere else. And you get the fortune to not necessarily feel that way. Earlier, I was going to ask you a question when we were talking about personal branding, right? Do you look at yourself and Profitessa, like, are you a personal brand? Do you see yourself that way? Definitely. And my, I work for an amazing man, and he believes the same thing for his own career. I mean, yeah, Mutual of Omaha is who pays the who pays me I'm compensated by them but let's get real this is Megan Wilkie Enterprises right if you don't wake up every day and treat your role especially if you're in the home office as an entrepreneur you're just not going to make it in the future of financial services because there are people like me who are very entrepreneurial but have had a lot of investment in them from the home office and they will be the leaders, um, those that have the entrepreneurial mindset and that are building something, not just earning a paycheck. That's awesome. So when's the vlog coming? Are you going to have a camera crew behind you at Mutual Omaha and, and uh, have the, I don't know what the title would be, Profitessa Daily? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> not even the vlog. I was actually, as I'm, as I'm listening to you speak, I actually hear a TED Talk coming real soon. Have you already considered having one of those or is that in the works? I haven't, but I would love to. It sounds like it is. Public speaking is, I'm really passionate about it. Yeah. Actually, I was a competitive public speaker when I was growing up. Wow. So I, I wanted to be a motivational speaker for the longest time. I just didn't really have anything that motivational to say. So now I'm getting some of those things. And, and I, it'll be rare if I turn down an opportunity to speak. I'm sure you are motivating and impacting a lot of individuals who are listening, who have been following your path. You're definitely an inspiration to them, whether you do or don't know them. So that's awesome. Thank you. So are you going to uh, catch a surf while you're in Huntington Beach, like before <laughs> or after the Disruptive Innovation Conference? I mean, I'm a total land dweller, <laughs> right? I'm from Nebraska. There's not a lot of oceans where I come from. I'm more of a lake person than a than an ocean person. So we'll see. I see. So what are the things you do to blow off some steam? What's like a, a fun passions of yours? Well, I, I love extreme sports, so wakeboarding, snowboarding, skiing, outdoors. I, I like to hike a lot. Um, so anything outdoorsy. I am um, a gun owner, so I like to you know go to target practice every now and then. That's kind of fun. Uh, I'm an avid gardener, and I'm a mean cook. Nice. You, you, your list of things is amazing, right? You're an avid gardener, and right before that, you own a gun and you want to go shooting. It's like, and, I imagine. And, and extreme sports. <laughs> right. Well, there's, not, there's not a lot to do in Nebraska, right? You can't, get, you can't get distracted with anything other than your own hobbies. So you so get you, a you lot of You were a disruptor well before the term was ever created, apparently. You, yeah. You were born a disruptor. Correct. <laughs> yes. Do you have any siblings? I do have two siblings. 
one of whom is in the industry, actually. I recruited him into the industry, my, my oldest brother. How's, how's that working with your oldest brother? He's does, doing great. Does he give you a hard time? <laughs> uh, sometimes. I think we give each other a hard time. He was I was one of the probably tougher coaches he had early on in his career because just about every time he had a bad day, my answer was, well, I mean, you should probably just call more people. That's cool. I bet that'll make you feel better. So you, you have... <laughs> <laughs> that's so true it does every time works every time <laughs> that's funny you come from a line of financial or um, financial services right three third generation you mm-hmm. are right I am in your family are there others than you and your brother who are also taking this third generation or is it the two of you it's really the two of us my sister is in sales as well but totally different industry so how influential to your success now, other than just the conversation you mentioned where your dad told you it was a good idea and, and you had the fork in the road, how influential was having a dad who was as successful to be a VP or running banks and things of that nature, like infused into your ability to be successful today? Again, I think it was, I just wanted people to look at me the way that they looked at him. I wasn't really sure how I was going to do that. I assumed it was banking and I didn't really care. Um, because I had a lot of things outside of my profession that were interesting to me at that point. But I wanted to be meaningful and uh, make an impact in the lives of others for sure, which sounds so cliche, but that really was the only thing I knew for sure I wanted, that and to be a mom. So for me, it helped push me over the edge to pursue the advisor path because I go to him for advice and and he gives pretty good advice. So, So I took it. Uh, and thank goodness at 2007 that I became an advisor and I didn't go into banking. Um, and then beyond that, it's just support. You know, he and my parents and my, my entire family, especially my immediate family, is very um, supportive and they know how hard it is to fight every day to be a champion. And so they help me and celebrate with me. And that's all it makes all the difference. You have a lot of really good like one-liners. Yeah, I mean, it's, I it's, a, it's amazing. Tell me about Mutual of Omaha Advisors. You're responsible for building the uh, a career agency route. Um, how is that with the home office where you also have a broker's, I, I guess, a broker division or mm-hmm. broker line? Um, how does that work when the agents, are there brokers that come onto this side, Catherine's that go to that side? I mean, how's, how, how do you juggle that? Well, you definitely have to. I think we were talking earlier, and it's like the Game of Thrones, right? You win or you die. So you have to talk about, as an organization... There's another one-liner right there. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you have to talk as an organization about how to stay relevant and use your resources and investments wisely when you have competing distribution channels. And we're not the only organization that has a broker or direct-to-consumer arm as well as a, as a career agency distribution. And so it's important that we make values-based decisions like we don't want to see people switch from broker, a broker contract to a career agent contract and back and forth. We want, we want to truly have sustainable growth. And in order to do that, then we need to avoid uh, proselytizing candidates from ourselves, certainly. Uh, we also think from the industry in general. But then also being smart about our future strategy and trying every day to break silos down so that no matter who the client is with Mutual of Omaha, that they have a distribution or a a means to get the advice or the product that they need. And that might not always be Mutual of Omaha advisors, and sometimes it will be, but we wanna be sure that as a larger organization, we're tight enough 
uh, and have the enough openness and, and not as many silos so that we can better serve those people. Tell me about all the product lines that Mutual Omaha Advisors offers. So we do have a full service broker dealer as well, um, Mutual Omaha Investor Services, but you know, we will never apologize for being a life insurance organization at heart. And you guys have one of the best disability policies. I, mean, I just want to let, let everyone know that. Yeah, we do. We do. And uh, we get a lot of compliments on our long-term care as well. I think our uh, really our storyline product is the, the IUL, Index Universal Life. We've got a couple of those that um, have recently rolled out to better serve the advice-based distribution and then ultimately the other channels as well. We're really seeing a lot of success with that. And we're seeing people that are investing more in premiums that are going to serve multiple needs potentially, offer some protection of risk as, as well as you know a, a good way to channel some savings. Now you hit on a hot button that I don't even know that you know you hit on, but you talked about having the full like broker-dealer side of things and then not being, uh, what was the term you used? Not, not being, uh, something about being an insurance company at heart. Life um, insurance organization yeah, at heart. Yeah, not being ashamed of that or, or so. I got in the business nine years ago, and I've noticed most of the time, but I've been trying to be like an agent of change to this. It's almost like two rival like schools, right? You think of like insurance and financial services. Most financial advisors are all about investments and insurances like crap, and like they're not interested in that side. And then insurance agents are often indoctrinated that like if any person's even willing to take risk at all, like they've lost their mind, and they're on these two extremes. There's not a lot of people who find harmony between both of them, right? Um, can you speak on that a little bit? What are your thoughts of that in our world? I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, and I'm a huge Gary Vee fan, so this is where our clouds and our dirt connect, right? In the clouds, we, deserve, we believe that every customer deserves a plan, right? And that plan can be done through a, a proper fact-finding and needs analysis. It can be a plan where you're... You, you charge a fee for those clients. Um, but at the end of the day, what the client needs is what the client needs. And so we know that there's some data that points to just being securities licensed as an individual, you will sell more life insurance. There are many statistics that are there. And if you think about the psychology behind that or more fixed products in general, a client may be more likely to accept your recommendation if you're selling them something when when they know that you could propose a different solution as well, maybe on, on the variable side, so they have more trust in that advice. But I think it all points back to that you're not in it for the product. You're in it for the plan. And the products or solutions- There's another one right there. <laughs> the products or solutions that fit into that is not up to really even Mutual of Omaha to decide what that split looks like. We're pretty good at predicting it by now, and we're pretty good at knowing what the right product mix needs to be so that we're profitable for our policyholders. But at the end of the day, it really needs to be driven by the needs of the individual. And we in our selection process specifically weed people out that have a negative connotation with risk um, and are maybe adverse to getting securities licensed because they don't want 
to pursue that side of the business as well. We want people that are going to be fully licensed, that are going to be able to help their client with whatever their needs might be. Now, are you guys interested in actually trying to influence that way of thinking or just looking for the people who already think that way? There aren't a lot of people that think that way. Right. So uh, if they're clients, I think they are used to having an investment guy, an insurance guy, a PNC guy, and then having all of these people, right, that not one advisor that puts a bow on it all. And so a lot of it comes from the marketplace. When candidates come in for an interview, they assume they're interviewing to be a salesperson of a product. So it's important that when we paint the picture for what we're building, we're building a distribution of advisors who are specifically sought after by clients for their advice, not because of one product or another. And it's entirely up to us to change, to shift that thinking. I think a lot of it stems from the experience that your clients have with your advisors. So we got a uh, young, you know, guy or gal, early 20s, and they're thinking about joining this industry, joining the business. What would be your words of wisdom to them? Their first three, four months, what should they do? <laughs> Aside from call more people. Um, <laughs> I think what makes all the difference in the world is a marketing plan, right? You have to be an expert in marketing to succeed, in my opinion, in this business. The, the days of cold calling or you know, leads only prospecting are really too expensive and, and frankly, dead. Oh, yeah. um, and so I think you need to understand as a new advisor who are the prospects that are most likely to sit down, have a conversation with you, go through a full needs analysis? Who are some of the ones that might have a more immediate need because you do need to generate cash flow, that is why we're here. Um, and then who are some of those clients that are maybe more of a long game that you need to have a marketing strategy and apply those to? So the thought process of a marketing plan and how your activity complements that is in my opinion, what will differentiate the future advisor from, from feast or famine. And that means that everybody's treated fairly, but not necessarily equitably if they're a prospect of yours. Some prospects deserve a little bit more love. Others might have a more immediate need, or if they are in your natural market, might be somebody that you wanna go out and meet with while you're still cutting your teeth, for lack of a better term. So basically, don't leave it up to chance. You can kind of curate the way this stuff's gonna go. You get to pick who you do business with if you have a successful practice. You don't have to choose, take anybody on as a client. And uh, I think the, the famine side of a new advisor's life causes them to build a practice of people that they, A, don't care about at a, on a deeper personal level, but B, they might not even like them. So you have a choice between a rookie who's just joining the industry or a five, six year producer. Which one would you uh, prefer to start working with? Rookie all the way. Rookie all the way. Well, there you guys go. You guys heard it right there. This is the reason why Mutual of Omaha Advisors is growing at the pace that they're going. The lady behind Talent Acquisition Manager Mutual of Omaha Advisors, Megan Wilkie. Thank you so much for making the trip out here all the way from Omaha, Nebraska, the home office. We are excited, again, that you're going to be speaking on June 1st at the Disrupt Tour, Disruptive Innovation. I'm personally excited to hear your keynote and so many of the attendees, people's advisor, my friend. Hey, kill it today. 
go after it. I'm so inspired by Megan and all the fire that you just gave us without even knowing it. And I got 45 memes I can create on your one-liner. And one more time, <laughs> if they're trying to reach you out there on Instagram, Megan, where can they find you? Prophetessa. Prophetessa. And if not on LinkedIn, you guys, Megan Wilkie, thank you again so much for thank coming out to see us. Some Brothers Osborne right there. That's right.